Welcome back to another episode of WebEx Weekly, the podcast that interviews the best and upcoming projects in Web3. My name is Mark, or you may know me as Web3 with Mark on social media. Very quickly, if you're listening to this podcast on anything other than the Fountain app, you are missing out. On Fountain, you can earn sats, which is a unit of Bitcoin just for listening. So why not earn Bitcoin to listen? It just makes sense. You can find a link to the Fountain app in the description below. On this episode, I am joined by Arisa Toyosaki, the CEO and co-founder of Sega. Sega is C-E-G-I, not to be confused with the popular gaming console. Sega is the next evolution in DeFi derivatives and the first protocol to create smart contracts that handle exotic options. Now, if you don't know what DeFi derivatives are or exotic options, then don't worry, we will be covering that in today's episode. As today's episode is related to DeFi derivatives, options, and exotic contracts, I would like to stress the importance of doing your own research. Investments in volatile assets can be dangerous, and you could lose all your money. So with that in mind, none of the information here is financial advice. A good place to start is the official documentation on the Sega website, and you can find that at docs.sega.fi. Alrighty, Elisa, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. Would you like to introduce yourself a little bit more and tell us about your history and journey into Web3 and how Sega came to be? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on this podcast today, Mark. My name is Arissa. I am the co-founder and CEO of Sega, which is a DeFi protocol that is live on Ethereum, Arbitrum, and Solana. We are a DeFi derivatives protocol that created the first smart contracts that handle something called exotic options. And so these are conditional um, options that allows you to make structured investment strategies that you can stake into. And then for a USDC staking um, solution, we have returns anywhere from 8.5% to 85% APY. Um, So it's a really attractive staking opportunity in the field. And I got into this because my background is in derivatives trading. I used to work in New York and Hong Kong. And then um, after that, I also did a couple of years working in BitTech at Google, where I learned how to build products. And with kind of the combination of those experiences, I figured that, you know, building this structured investment product on chain really made sense because we're making this product more accessible to everyone around the world. Um, It's permissionless, it's trustless, um, but it actually has real user benefit. And so, yeah, that's what I do now. And, you know, super excited to talk more about what's in the pipeline for Sega today and also uh, where we're going from now on. Nice. So you mentioned you came from a, like a traditional background and now you're in Web3. How did you find the transition? Were there any major like hurdles or did you think it was quite an easy thing to do? Yeah, it's it's quite interesting. So, uh, Mark, like I'm not sure if um, you've known this about traditional finance, but when you actually start a career in traditional finance, you are not allowed to trade products that you, you trade professionally. And so I joined traditional finance uh, working in the equity section. And so I wasn't allowed to trade any of the indexes or ETFs or stocks. Uh, And so even though I had this professional knowledge about investing, I wasn't able to um, do a lot of um, investments in traditional asset classes. And so naturally what a lot of people around me were doing were real estate investments and crypto investments. And so I fortunately got into crypto quite early and I was, um, you know, back in the heydays of uh, many projects going through like the ICO boom, I was trading that pretty actively. Um, In 2016, I was considering um, building a 
crypto options exchange and then saw that Deribit came out, um, you know, it's always been a part of my interest. And so when I went into tech, um, I was continuing this interest of crypto on the side. And when the DeFi summer happened in 2020, I knew it was my calling to do this full time. And so it's always been a part of my interest and it's always something I looked into um, very, uh, uh, very carefully. But um, when DeFi summer happened, it was just not a question for me to do it full time and to really try to innovate and expand the potential of this technology um, and to replace the traditional financial ecosystem. Oh, that's a really like wholesome origin story. I like that. <laughs> um, so you just mentioned you weren't allowed to trade. Um, is that due to regulation and to stop like insider trading? So when you're doing traditional trades, you're not allowed to call your friends and be like, hey, this is going to go parabolic or something okay yeah, yeah I, I did know that but i mean it makes sense i guess um so when the DeFi boom happened you just mentioned at what point did you think i need to be like what was the the thing that you thought okay i need to build a solution so sorry i'm getting around to this uh my, i'm a software engineer background and my at university my pro professor said to me that if you want to build something useful you have to find a problem and you have to solve it. And if you find the right problem and the right solution, then that is how you succeed. So what problem did you have? And at what point did you go, oh, I can fix this in Web3? Oh, my goodness. I mean, oh, sorry. <laughs> 2020, like Web3 only had problems. I feel like there were more problems than solutions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Obviously, like it would. I mean, back in 2020, like it was not okay that I was making like uh, over a hundred percent return just by LPing on AMM. <laughs> like, something was wrong in that industry, and so I think um, you know the the number one thing I saw that really um, that that made me convinced that you know I should join full time and to innovate in this field was that um, there there was a lack of real product benefit and a rack a lack of real user benefit in some of the DeFi products out there. Um, there were a lot of Ponzi-nomics, there was a lot of um, like inflationary tokenomics, and I felt like you know there needed to be more builders out there that was creating sustainable long-term value. And so that was like a really big high-level problem I saw. And then kind of connected to that was also the issue of um, lack of innovation. So back in 2020 and 2021, the go-to thing to do was to just fork the code because everything in DeFi is open source. You fork the code of an AMM or like whatever else you see in the market, um, you deploy it on a different chain. And that's how you kept on deploying um, these fork codes. And so there wasn't this thought of trying to build something entirely new. And so I also wanted to you know, to expand the capability of this technology, I wanted to build something that was net new in the market. Um, and then lastly, I also felt like, you know, the, the culture of this industry was, um, you know, for a lack of a better word, like not very wholesome back then. Um, I think it's taking a step towards a better direction, but there were a lot of bad actors in this space who were very short-term oriented. And I think 
when a lot of short-term oriented people gather in this one place, it doesn't necessarily put a good name to the technology when the technology is actually so innovative and can disrupt so many of the existing markets. And so I wanted to be a representation of a good player and to focus on long-term benefits, focus on real user benefits and to really innovate in this industry. Um, and I think that's like the primary reason why I decided to do it full-time. Oh, that's even more wholesome that you've decided to go in for the right reasons. Um, I've had this discussion before with people. I mean, in, in a, I know the early crypto days were very toxic and very predatory, especially for newcomers who didn't know. But I, I kind of feel like we needed that because, you know, since we've had the all these horrible things happen, people are starting to go, OK, well, we actually don't want that. And I've seen like a project like WalletGuard. They just created a solution for MetaMask because they went through a process of like being... Um, uh, like a uh, phishing hacked and then wallet drained and they were like okay th this is getting this is getting too much let's find a solution so i think as much as i'm not agreeing that anyone lost money or anything like that i think it does push people into the right direction to build better solutions kind of like testing the waters i think yeah absolutely and you know in the innovation business cycle like early adoption is about that like it's about trial and error and also taking some of the risk that i think um, you know, could end up getting your wallet drained or, um, you know, being able to weather, weather that storm. But I think this technology has the potential to reach all 7 billion people in this world. And when you're past that early adopter uh, demographic, you also have to understand what are the rails that you need to put in place? What are the risk factors that you want to lessen. And I think we're starting to approach that period of time where, you know, you can't just have like the wild cowboys out there um, taking risks and, you know, potentially getting rugged because some, some of the people that we want to onboard may not have the capability or the, um, you know, the, the luxury to be rugged and be okay. Yeah. 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 I totally agree with that. Um, so speaking of like, so Sega specifically, at what point did you think I want to start a company and I wanted to do exotic smart contract options? And I'm not a huge DeFi guy or a, a trader. So from what I believe, like options are just a way to interact with something, but without the obligation to interact. So you can set like a future trade but you don't have to act on it i don't know what exotic means so would you like mind just like dumbing that down for me and that everyone listening if anyone doesn't know yeah absolutely um maybe i can go into like you know what an exotic option is um why build it on smart contracts and you know what uh, motivated me to make that so i think the first part is what is exotic what is exotic options um, for those of you listening to this podcast, you've probably at one point looked into a job in tech, tech or um, has heard of a term called stock options. Options are a financial contract between two parties that gives you the right but not an obligation to claim an asset at a certain price at a certain time. And so it's just a contract. Um, you promise that you can get something at a certain price at a certain time. If the price actually appreciates during that time beyond this agreed price, you make money because you get to buy it at a cheaper price than what you like originally intended to. Or if the contract is to sell this asset at a certain time at a certain price and the value of the asset actually um, you know, goes lower than intended, then like you're able to sell at a higher price and buy it back so you can like make money from that. 
And so the value of the contract itself um, is, is an option and like it's what options traders trade on day in, day out. Um, but exotic options actually add conditions on top of this right but not an obligation. And so an example of an exotic condition would be something like, okay, if the price of this underlying asset that I'm planning to buy, um, you know, I agree to buy it at this price, but before this contract reaches this expiry date, if the value of the underlying hits a certain price, if it goes too high, for instance, and hits a certain price, then I don't want this contract to be valid anymore. Um, and by doing so, you get a con you get a discount on the price of the contract itself. So like these types of exotic conditions, which are just additional conditions on top of an existing normal contract, um, it adds a, another mathematical element to the risk return profiles of these uh, financial agreements. And so it is a very um, it is a very interesting product because by having an exotic condition, you can actually make your investment strategy uh, like much more risky with much higher returns, or you can make it something that is very risk adjusted and much lower risk than your existing option structures um, with still like a good return. And so Sega really focuses on creating these structured investment strategies that have something called a good sharp ratio, which is the amount of returns you get for the amount of risk you take. Um, so we have one of the best uh, risk reward profiles like in DeFi, and that's something we're really proud of. Um, and yeah, some of our strategies, for instance, uh, one of our best selling strategies is called cruise control. Um, you're basically uh, betting that in the next 27 days, neither BTC nor ETH price will fall more than 90%. And in return, you get a 9% APY on your USDC. So that's the type of products we create. Some of our more DGEN strategies are like, um, you know, you're betting that in the next 27 days, neither BTC nor ETH will fall more than 30%. And in return, you get a 47% APY. Um, that's the type of strategies we run. And so you can really, um, you know, you can do like a portfolio play where you put some in like the higher reward, higher risk strategies and put some in like the very um, conservative strategies, or you can, you know, do something where you like um, do higher risk strategies on some of the days and like do the really conservative strategies on some of the days. Like we have like quite a different um, range of user profiles. And then we, uh have created this because in the market uh, before we existed there were extremely risky strategies that were being uh marketed as structured investments and we felt like they were not actual structured investments because in traditional finance structured investments are all exotic options but in crypto people were actually um you know, selling things like uh, inflationary tokens as structured strategies or um, or vanilla option strategies that were extremely leveraged as structured uh, strategies. And I think that was something I 
was not okay with. And when looking further into why people were doing this, I realized that it's because people did not know how to structure strong exotic option strategies. Um, and using my background, I felt like that's where I could really provide value in this environment. Um, and so um, did I want to start a company from the beginning? No, not really. Um, how Sega started was that in 2021, I saw that there were all these um, bad strategies out there that were not giving users real yield and real benefit. I wrote a white paper talking about how exotic options could fix these issues in DeFi that pertain to real yield, um, that pertain to product innovation, and that pertain to having like a more um, having more good actors in the space. And then this white paper. Um, I was actually presenting it to a couple of DeFi options protocols, hoping that they would be inspired to build this product themselves. But along the way, it got passed on to uh, venture capital firms and people were interested in investing in this idea. Um, and so I ended up uh, assembling a team and we ended up um, building a company out of it. So to a lot of founders um, you know, out there that are looking to start a company, um, I, I don't think people should be founders because they want to be founders. I think uh, people should see a good opportunity or see like a strong problem that they want to solve in the market. And then I think, um, you know, building a company will naturally follow, um, when you see these types of market opportunities. Wow. That's a lot to unpack. Um, I mean, first of all, congratulations. That's a great story. And I'm really happy it worked out for you. Um, yeah, I think you are right. Definitely. There are this thing with founders i think there are too many and i use quotes here founders in web3 um i think it's a buzzword a lot of people just use to launch a token um <clears throat> so uh, so you mentioned 27 days um is that um is that all you offer only 27 days or was that just an example number and if so why 27 yeah so all of our products have a 27 day tenor and this is uh, very standard in crypto because if you look at options liquidity, which is how much option volume there is available, and the more liquidity, the better the prices are because the bid ask spread is much tighter. Um, one month option, so 27 days to 28 day options are most liquid in crypto. So um, we wanna give the best yield and user uh, returns possible. So we focus on like where market liquidity is. Um, usually as markets mature more, which means like, um, you know, overall say there's more market cap for BTC, ETH, um, there's more users and accounts that come into this market. Um, I think there will be higher liquidity in different tenors. So we can do like three month long tenors or six month long tenors. Um, very commonly in traditional finance, um, like uh, equity index would be around six months to a year. Um, that's like the most liquid tenors. Um, and then like single stock equities would be like three months, six months. And so one month is uh, quite short and it just shows that we are still an emerging market, um, which means there's a lot of opportunities, um, but 
It also means like right now, uh, if we were to issue options products, the only tenor that it makes sense is at 27 days. Am I, am I doing okay? Am I talking too much? <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's great because I, as I mentioned, I, I don't know a lot about DeFi. So I was really nervous actually about this podcast. And I was like, no, I'm going to sound so stupid. And I, I just, I'm going to say something and you just shake your head, like cancel the call. Like, what is this? So, <laughs> but it's good. I mean, I, the reason I wanted the CoinPost to start doing these podcasts is because I want to learn more and speak to people anyway. You know, I, I, I really believe in um, trying to learn as much as you can. And even if it's something you're not that interested in, like the way my brain works as a software engineer and possibly a little bit of ADHD is I will just have a random idea after a conversation I've had with someone and like make a connection and be like, oh, I want to try this. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I love it. Please talk as much as you want. Um, So you mentioned smart contracts um, with the exotic options. So that leads me down the programming route of... um, uh, you know, coding and security, like how safe is Sega and has your code been audited? Are you expecting any audits? Yeah, absolutely. So maybe we should start off with like why smart contracts? Um, the whole reason why I really believe in the possibility of smart contracts is because um, in traditional finance, these exotic options have to be executed quite manually using a lot of manual uh, middle office and back office operators. So a typical traditional finance exotic options trade can cost anywhere from, um, you know, 700 US dollars to 100,000 US dollars per trade. And this is because there's all these observations, settlements, um, and wiring that happens and legal work that happens manually. If you are putting it on a smart contract, it becomes completely permissionless and autonomous while also working with a programmatic wallet that humans can't touch. And so it makes everything very costly, cost efficient, as well as um, autonomous and easy to manage. And so um, obviously like with the type of uh, risk that you were asking, you know, smart contract risk is one thing that people think about. Um, But in traditional finance, manual errors happen all the time where you accidentally fat finger a zero and you end up sending someone $10 million instead of $1 million. And compared to that, you know, I think the risk is uh, quite minimal. But obviously, user trust and security is something that we really care about at Sega. And so all of Sega's code is double audited by the top auditors in the space. Um, We currently work with Zelic and Ottersec, as well as Code Arena. And these auditors have uh, publicly published all of our audit reports, and we've never had any critical issues. So we also make sure that our code uh, status and quality is always at the highest quality in the market. Oh, well, congratulations. (laughs) Uh, You just mentioned about the the fat fingers and like how that's um, not a huge problem with smart contracts. But wasn't there a thing like a year ago, didn't PayPal send like millions of dollars to someone in their first like Bitcoin trade or something? Um, I think I remember some news and PayPal made a mistake and instead of sending like a hundred dollars, sent like a million or something to someone. I just thought that was funny. Yeah, I remember seeing that news, but I wonder if it was done autonomously on the smart contract or if it was done like by hand. Um, because I think, you know, in centralized um, 
like in centralized exchanges where you send um you know you send funds it's, it's still quite manual so um you can fat finger it um also the thing with smart contracts is that math becomes pretty important so you want to make sure that you're calculating things right um and i think um, internal like quality assurance, for instance, is really important in a DeFi protocol. So you shouldn't launch a product without doing like, you know, heavy QA and like making sure that all the testing results come out accurately. Okay, so what exciting updates does Sega have coming along? And uh, are there any major product launches or any, you know, hints at uh, development you can give us? Yeah, absolutely. So we actually have a very exciting news that um, is about our new product coming out later this month. Um, Sega is going to be launching this new collection of products that allows for two things. One is that we are allowing for alternative asset staking. So traditionally, all of Sega products have been USDC staking and USDC returns. But starting end of this month, we're also going to be allowing Ethereum staking and staked Ethereum staking. And we're going to be providing one of the highest staked Ethereum yields um, in the market. So I'm really excited about it. Um, and again, like we focus on real yield. So it's not any anything inflationary, anything Ponzi, like it is a real pure yield that's coming out of options trading. Um, the second part is that we're launching this new type of structure called a dual currency swap. And what this type of structured investment allows you to do is it actually gives you a strong return um, no matter what events happen in the market. Um, and so for our, du our dual currency swap products on Ethereum, staked Ethereum, and USDC, the returns are going to be 20 to 25%. And which is a strong return. Yeah. And, and staked Ethereum returns are usually at one digit. So like, you know, we're giving a two digit return. And if the value of staked Ethereum goes beyond a certain price, um, the staked Ethereum gets converted to USDC, but you get that 25% yield in USDC as well. So that yield continues to be something that you can receive. And then you can just convert that USDC back to staked Ethereum again and then restake. And so you really get to have this um, fantastic yield. Um, and I think that's like a really exciting product that um, everyone's really excited about. Well, I think um, like every DJ that is probably going to hear this, you know, you just mentioned a double digit yield. So everyone is probably going to think, okay, how do I do this? So like for a complete beginner how easy is it for someone to interact with sega and what steps are required um to yeah to use your products yeah so using sega is extremely simple um if you have any wallet that connects through wallet connect or if you have a metamask um you can just go on app.sega.fi and connect your wallet to our um to our app and then you can click on your favorite strategy, um, pick however much USDC or ETH or STEF that you want to be staking, and then press stake. So it's actually a three-click process. Wow. Okay. I think I might have to start using that um, when I do a bit more research. Um, speaking of uh, research, you know, I, I always tell people 
do your own research first. Don't just jump into something because you've heard numbers because that's, you know, how people make mistakes and stuff. So where would you recommend someone goes first to get help from the community or from documentation or, you know, online courses or anything? Yeah, for sure. So I think for any like education on Sega products that, you know, you want to be getting um, after our new product launch end of this month, we're actually going to have Sega strategies education as one of the first parts of our uh, app website. So if you go to app.sega.fi, there will be three links that you can look into all of our different strategies. And if you want an even more in-depth explanation, you can go to our docs page, which is doc.sega.fi. And then that should give you all the different case scenarios and payoff graphs of like all of our different strategies. If you have even more questions, you can join our Discord, discord.gg slash Sega. And we have um, moderators and members on 24 seven to answer any questions that you might have. Um, and also if you wanna to talk to me directly, the DMs on both my English and Japanese Twitter is always open. So feel free to ask me any questions. Um, we usually are quite reachable um, and we have members everywhere around the world in every time zone. Oh, wow. Nice. So how, how, how big is Sega and how many members do you have? Right now, our core team is around 16 people. And then um, including uh, contractors and moderators, we have a few more. Okay. And you're, you're based in Singapore, the core team, or are you global? We are quite global and we're completely remote async. Um, oh, I am nice. personally located in Singapore. Right. Okay. I might have to... Um... <clears throat> maybe look at your jobs page after this <laughs> yeah i mean if you ever want to come and uh you know check check the um i guess we don't really have an office but yeah. <laughs> like hang out and talk more about sega um you're always welcome to singapore uh we also have another member in singapore so um you know you can oh, nice. meet uh, you can meet a couple of the team members. And if you go to any of the major uh, Web3 conferences, um, we usually have like one or two people from the Sega team there. So um, yeah, like if you're going to um, any conferences or if anyone listening to this is going to a conference, like make sure to drop us a note and we'd love to meet up with you for a coffee. Oh, there you go. Look at that. It's not it's it's not often you get founders being like, hey, let's grab a coffee. You know, they just usually stay away and let, let the team deal with it at conferences. So great opportunity i will take you up on that if if my company sent me to singapore again i mean it was my first time in singapore at token and i mean i live in japan my japanese is kind of so so like i can get around i've been here five years but then i got to um singapore and everything's in english and i just i didn't have that stress of trying to work out like the kanji and and that kind of stuff and then at one point i was singing westlife with a taxi driver which just would never happen in japan right so i was like oh wow this is my vibe like i need to move here so um anyone that's listening and that's never been to singapore i really strongly recommend i mean japan's also great too please come to japan but also singapore was absolutely amazing um okay so um <clears throat> sorry give me one more second I'm so sorry. Um, so because it's starting to get a little bit cold in Japan, everyone's putting like the heaters on and, you know, the dry air is getting to my, to my throat a little bit. Um, to, uh, Singapore, it's summer year round. Yeah, I mean, that, that is the one thing I think that would put me off a little bit. Um, it's the constant heat because I do like cold. I'm British. So, you know, I like the rain and I like the cold. Um, and when I was at Token 24-9, 
you know, sometimes midday it was, I had to find shade and a bottle of water just to like sit down and, <laughs> and relax a little bit. So why did you decide to um, start in S Singapore? Um, did you already live there or did you choose it for like regulatory reasons or um, just like, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I actually started, um, so I actually thought about Sega, I wrote the white paper when I was in Japan. Um, but then when we actually incorporated, I spoke to a couple of tax lawyers and a couple of regulatory like lawyers and um, they recommended that Singapore was the best place to build this business. Um, there's a couple of um, rationales here. So one is definitely like the corporate taxation scheme, um, which is uh, much more ideal in Singapore than in Japan, um, especially for blockchain related businesses. Um, the second is also regarding um, uh, like financial regulations um, in Singapore, that is uh, even in traditional finance, it's the main uh, geographic geography for issuing structured investments. And so we uh, recognize that by being in Singapore, we'll be able to talk to the peers and um, the potential distributors for our products. Right. Oh, yeah. So it was a, it was a, a smart choice. Like, you know, they always say if you want to be an actor, move to Hollywood. So like you'll be you're around the people that you want to be integrating with. Probably exactly. better. If you can DeFi derivatives, you should definitely be in Singapore. And oh, right, okay. <laughs> there's um, a, a ton of DeFi derivative protocols are here. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't I didn't know that. Okay, I should probably do my research a little bit further. <laughs> um, so speaking of institutions, what um, is an institutional use case for DeFi derivatives as opposed to just the DGENs that want to try and make yield online at a weekend? Oh, this is a fantastic question. And I think, um, you know, when people think about DeFi derivatives, they often just think about the benefit. But I actually think that the way we can create an institutional use case for DeFi derivatives is through implementing smart contract as an institutional level technology. Um, for instance, I mentioned a bit earlier that structured investments actually cost an institution anywhere from 700 USD to 100,000 USD per trade. And so by replacing that with a smart contract, you're able to reduce operational costs significantly by more than 90%. And even if you still have one human oversight checking that the smart contracts work correctly, it's a significantly small amount of work than what I think um, is currently the the case for these businesses. And so I think that's definitely one like use case. The second use case is I actually think that um, the amount of trust you can build by having all the data verifiable on chain is significant for institutions. And so right now for um, some of the markets, like for instance, bonds in traditional markets, um, you constantly have to call issuers of the bond to check the most updated pricings because there is no central like database that is trusted um, by all trading counterparties. And so by building this type of trusted databases for some of the more inefficient markets, you're able to build a higher velocity of these data to be um, uh, to be shared and then a uh, more efficient capital market um, around those products. So I think especially in like the fixed income uh, economic markets, like the value of smart contract technology is um, extremely high. Um, and so 
And these are like, you know, only the use cases within the financial industry, but also going beyond just DeFi derivatives, I think smart contracts could penetrate so many other types of markets. Um, I think another example would be, for instance, um, human resources. I think um, right now, um, you know, human resources, you set KPIs, you um, see how someone performs and based on their KPI, you change their compensation. What if all of that can be automated? Um, in Web2, there are some technologies that help track those processes, but at the end of the day, the execution is still quite manual. Um, if you are using smart contracts, you're actually able to make those payments quite autonomous um, and to you know set those things like ahead of time. So like you know, there's probably less friction between like the providers and, and the receivers. Um, I think there's just so much ways that you can use smart contract as a technology to um, you know replace and improve traditional financial ecosystem, but also beyond that in different industries. Yeah, I really like what you just said about the HR. As you were saying it, I just had this um this like um thought where like, you know, <clears throat> you join a lot of companies. Um I mean, just throughout my my history, I I'm no no company in particular, but I've had many stories like this. They join a company, you know, they have a starting salary and they say, "Okay, here are your KPIs, and if you reach these and get this percent, then your salary goes up." But when it comes to that salary negotiation talk, there's always some reason or maybe the manager had a fight with this person a month ago and is still a little bit angry and they decide to overrule it. So having that like autonomous and set in code, I think that's a really good, that solves a really good solution actually. That could be completely not related to what you just said, but that's just what came to my mind. So um, sorry for that tangent. I mean, I, I think it's really the case, right? Like, um, you know, I focus a lot on the potential for contracts, but I also see a lot of protocols working on things like streaming payments or, um, you know, even uh, trying to like penetrate like how to how like social relationships work like on chain. And I mean, there's just so many things I think you can explore and test. And with the right mindset of trying to innovate using this technology and building something that no one else is building and trying to bring not a short-term benefit for yourself, but a long-term benefit for users, um, the, I think this potential for this technology is infinite. And, and really, I think the new online is going to be on-chain, which is what Brian Armstrong said like a few days ago. Um, like people talk about Web3 and you know how it's like this new innovation of like web, but I, I really think it's the on-chain aspect that um, will, will, will really like change the world and the direction it's going. I think the technology of NFT and yeah. ERC721 is extremely good. Um, I think, you know, having the non-fungibility allows for basically like a contract for uh, less liquid asset classes like real estate or art to be more liquid and it becomes a more efficient market. Um, if you look at the value of the arts market, like after the 2008 financial crisis, um, the, the speed at which um, like bad economy um, reflected on the price of the art actually came much later in the timeline. And I think it just showed that like, you know, art as an investment was risky. But I think with uh, NFT as a technology, we saw the cusp of how um, liquid an arts market could be. And so in that sense, I think the technology is fantastic and we should continue to develop on it. Um, like I think 
you know, whether the culture that we had around NFTs the last few years um, has been healthy or not, like, I think that's up for a subjective interpretation. Um, so I ask this to everybody that come on the podcast. Um, what to you, what is Web3? And what do you think the future of Web3 will be? Yeah, and I think, you know, this is a great place to kind of pick out like the things I was talking about earlier. But, um, you know, really, Web3 encompasses like so many different concepts. And sometimes it's not even about blockchain anymore. Um, you know, people talk about metaverse as being Web3. People talk about, um, you know, uh, like all these different like new intellectual properties as like a part of Web3. But I think um, really for me, like the focus of this technology and the focus of the future is building things on the blockchain. And so I think to me, the value of Web3 really lies in this on-chain technology and primarily having this permissionless and trustless uh, autonomously executable smart contract. And I think using smart contracts, we can penetrate so many different industries, starting from the traditional financial system that has so many inefficiencies. And we can really build this entirely new capital market based on a smart contract. And beyond that, I think, you know, what I mentioned regarding uh, human resources or even the arts market, I think smart contracts, ERC 721, all these different types of um, frameworks can um, make uh, existing markets more efficient. And so I think the future of online is on chain. And <laughs> that's, that's what I believe in. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's a great answer, even though you stole it. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely something that, uh, you know, I can't credit myself for. It was, <laughs> um, you know, what I think what he said really resonated with me. Yeah, I mean, I think this is also why it's really good to follow the right people in, in Web3. I see too many, like, <clears throat> echo chambers of, like, either misinformation or just things that when you really unpack, you think, you know, they're just doing it to engagement farm. So... Um, how would how how would you give advice to someone that's in Web three that doesn't quite know how to get information? To f how what would your advice be on how to filter out um, the bad and focus on the good? I don't know if I formed that in a proper question. <laughs> yeah, I think you know how to get started in Web three and like you know what you should be doing to make the most out of it. Um, I think well to those that are somewhat. Um, you know, someone knowledgeable about the different tools available and like the different services. Um, my number one advice is to not trade on crypto Twitter news um, because crypto <laughs> Twitter always comes out after people have already like accumulated their positions and you don't want to become like someone's exit liquidity. I think that's like one uh, pretty good advice I think I have. Um, the second is for people who probably aren't as familiar with the different technologies and are like still looking for ways to enter the market. Um, I definitely like uh, recommend like reading um, Web3 media. Um, so like especially for DeFi, like some of the um, um, some, some of the um, publications like, you know, I, I would recommend you reading would be, um, you know, the Defiance or um, you know, Decrypt, The Block, these are all like very good um, uh, publications that you can read to um, have like a better understanding of like which services are doing what, um, what's going on where. And I would only really deploy capital, um, you know, after you get a better sense of like what are more like the more reputable protocols. Um, and I think always start from the ones that are well known. Like, I think if you're going to make your first wallet, like 
don't go for a wallet that someone like you know puts an affiliate link for on twitter but like you know, <laughs> just get a metamask um, yeah. or like if you're gonna start with like a centralized exchange account like consider coinbase and like you know don't go for like a fifth tier exchange that um people are you know giving you like uh free money to sign up for like i think those are just some of the basic rules and then i think yeah like when in doubt um right now it's still an emerging market and it's so so early um just dm me or like you know dm people that you think um you know knows about this space and everyone who i think has a good intention in this space are also uh very willing to educate about like the rights and wrongs the good goods and bads and um you know i'm very very happy to talk to more people who are interested in um joining this industry and you oh that's nice very positive i like to hear that um okay so um i think i've finished everything i wanted to ask is there any final notes before we wrap up anything you want to say or promote or uh boost um yeah i mean again like thanks so much for having me today i had a blast talking about um sega and you know where we started like why we're doing what we're doing and where i think the world is going um but you know in the short term we are going to be launching a new product at the end of this month i would love for everyone listening to this podcast to follow sega um twitter.com at sega underscore phi um as well as my personal twitter it's twitter.com slash arisatoyo um a-r-i-s-a-t-o-y-o um i also have a japanese account it's a-r-i-s-a-t-o-y-o underscore jp um please keep an eye out for our product launch um if you we can uh accept staking anywhere from one USDC. So um, if you do try our product and have any feedback, we love a good product feedback. Um, feel free to DM me. Feel free to leave a message on Discord. Again, Arisa, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. For those of you that just stuck around, that was Arisa Toyosaki, the co-founder of Sega. And in this episode, we delved into the world of DeFi derivatives. After highlighting the advantages of smart contracts that offer autonomy and cost effectiveness while minimizing manual errors across all industry sectors, I think it's safe to say that this is a technology that's going to be around for a while. Don't forget Sega did mention that they're gearing up for an exciting product launch, expanding beyond USDC staking into Ethereum and staked Ethereum with anticipated high yields. Once again, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, this is not financial advice. Please do your own research. What I really liked about Sega was that they emphasize user trust and security and they provide a very user-friendly three-click staking process and comprehensive educational resources, which I think is lacking a lot in Web3. What do you guys think? If you have any comments, feel free to leave them below or you can leave a voice comment by following the link in the description. Another amazing piece of advice that Arisa gave here was don't follow crypto Twitter news. You know, many of these people that post their positions or their alpha posts on Twitter, they've already prioritized their own gains and they've made their positions and they're just hoping to pump their own bags. So make sure you follow reputable sources and try to find accurate information. Thank you to everyone that's been listening to the podcast today. Until the next episode, remember, stay happy, stay mindful and stay excellent.